Well, welcome everyone to this edition of Human Wisdom Live. And today we're going to be talking about parenting teenagers with wisdom. My guest today is Sakshi Singler, who's a child um, and family therapist based in New Delhi. She's also a human wisdom coach. And Sakshi and I have been traveling for a long time. There are also several people who've joined the call today who are human wisdom coaches. The plan for today is that Sakshi and I have about 10 tips to offer or 10 areas of discussion. It's a huge subject. We could be here all day. And we hope to be talking for about 40 minutes. And after that, we want to open it up for your comments, questions. And uh, given the number of people we have, we probably have a breakout room as well for you to share your insights with others. As we travel, please put your comments and questions in the chat, and we will actively um, include them in our conversation. So Sakshi, very welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me here, uh, Minoj. Always happy to be a part of uh, the Human Wisdom Program. Right. So Sakshi, so the question is, in what way could we begin by saying to everyone how the human wisdom or this approach that we are adopting here is different um, to, to everything else we see? Okay, what we are doing with this approach is we are actually talking to our own minds and going in and finding uh, what is it that actually bothers all of us? Is it the world from the outside is what bothers us or it's our thoughts? So our mind assumes, I think if I had to summarize it, I'd say the human mind assumes that all the problems we see come from the outside. And so the solutions also lie on the outside. We're talking about emotional issues here, not a flat tire and things like that. But what the human wisdom approach is saying at its core is that our problems begin from the inside. It's a reaction. And the same goes for parenting teenagers. So the answer also lies on the inside by going within and seeing why is our mind reacting in the way that it does. And the more we understand ourselves, the easier it is to understand others because deep down, we're the same human being. At the moment, one in five teenagers has a mental health problem in some surveys here in the UK. And I'm sure that's mirrored everywhere else in the world. And as you say, Sakshi, you're a therapist uh, and even all the adults you see, the majority of their problems come from some trauma in their childhood, don't they? Oh yes, the connections are so, um easy to see if you do this work, everything goes back. And I think all of us will also agree uh, to the same thing that whatever environment that we grow up in, the kind of parenting that we receive, uh, the kind of relationships that we see while growing up, everything uh, matters because whatever problems we are finding in our adulthood, somewhere are coming from one of those places. Yes. And some could be coming from generational patterns, which we are carrying on uh, from maybe another generation, but there is a link. And I guess if, because we've really not looked at it so 
so much till now, we've also not been able to find the solution. Yes. That's okay. where I guess our approach comes from. Correct. So absolutely important, right? The work we're doing. So I think the first thing is to understand that teenagers are different in many core ways, aren't they? Their brains are evolving. They need more sleep. They've gone from being child children all the way to, and they're evolving into being adults. Um, in what way, what other ways do you find teenagers different, uniquely perhaps from adults? Um, they are risk takers. Something that we really mind, uh, something that we find very difficult with them uh, is that they are, they are risk takers. A lot of them uh, want to do more with their lives. Why? Because their brains are developing at such a fast speed that um, there is so much um, in them that needs to come out because actually the prefrontal cortex, which is the rational part of the brain, takes 25 years to fully develop. But what we are expecting from our teenagers, because they are now grown men and women in their physicality, um, expecting them to really have their emotional control in place, which is not possible because their emotions are um, still a, a lot in you know, overdrive because their rational thought, um, where the rational thought comes from, that prefrontal cortex is still developing. So yes. they're risk takers, they are people who, um, are actually very resilient also, something that we don't think about too much. They're fast learners, mm. they learn really, really fast. Again, owing to the fact that their brains are developing at a much higher rate than uh, what happens in adulthood. Mm. Um, well, I asked my niece, I said, in preparing for this talk, so what advice would you give to parents? You know, how, to, how can parents be better parents for teenagers? And she had a couple of things to say. And one of them was to let us take risks exactly as you said, to realize that we want to explore the world. It's a balance between being too protective and letting the you know, rope out gently. And most parents are so scared that we don't do it. Or it's a free for all. So it's this finding that delicate balance really that's important. Okay, my next question is, why is there conflict, so much conflict between parents and teenagers? And what's the role of conditioning in that? I think understanding that might help us really shine a light on this. We are conditioned differently because when we were growing up, it was a different world. The kind of parenting, the kind of spaces, the kind of environment that we went through or what we grew up in was different. Um, our children are growing up in a very, very different world. That is one of the biggest reasons I feel where the conflict comes from. Um, we try to exert our will on them because we feel we are right, because we are still working from that same conditioning, same place where we grew up from, um, forgetting that it's not the same world anymore. So actually exerting our will um, on them when they were five or four, when they actually needed us to, you know, for them to do whatever they needed to do in their lives, uh, to a place when they are 13, 14, where uh, they really do not need us 
uh, and they need more control. They need to be in a space where they can live their lives, but we don't think they are grown up to do that. That's another place of huge conflict. So I think that the way conditioning operates is that we are all conditioned by our own particular circumstances. And we assume we're not aware we're conditioned, number one, but secondly, we've become attached to it. We think that's the only way to see the world. So we have been conditioned from all our past experiences. These teenagers are exposed to so much more. That's their conditioning. And they assume they're right, we assume we are right. And of course, when we meet and start talking about things, there's conflict. And I think if both sides see that, it allows a coming together. I was working with these children in Dubai, these teenagers, and exploring conditioning with them. And they said, ah, this has now helped us to have a more sympathetic conversation with our parents because we realize they're conditioned and they're operating from their conditioning and we, you know, they are not aware of that. Similarly, if we had that understanding about teenagers and realized, ah, they don't even realize they're conditioned and they see the world, we need to party, we wanna do alcohol, whatever it is that they wanna do, we have to begin by understanding why they're thinking the way they are. And I think that process of conditioning can uh, illuminate uh, that discussion. But as you say, we also try to exert our will over them, don't we? It's all right when they're five, but when they're 14 or 15, we, we don't own them. They're not like a possession, are they? <laughs> You're on mute again, Sakshi, sorry. There's a lot of background uh, noise here, I'm so sorry. Um, the problem is again, the same, that because we are the adults and we are the grown-ups, we demand respect, we demand obedience. We think if, if our children are obedient, mm. uh, they are good children. Um, but you know, as a counselor and a therapist, I must say that all those good children come for therapy to us. Somewhere the obedient ones either have become followers uh, and are not doing anything groundbreaking in their lives, or they are still stuck in their people-pleasing um, place where um, they've always been taught that your will, what you want to do with your life or who you are is less important than making other people happy. Um, and initially in the teenage years, this is a place of conflict, but if we crush their spirit and if we are able to kind of really make them into good, uh, really good children who follow what we tell them, then we see the mental health issues that we see today growing at a very, very alarming rate. So I think just as children are growing, parents need to grow with them, which is something we forget. So at the age of five or six, yes, absolutely, you know, 100% you're telling them what to do and so on. But the age of 15, it becomes a conversation. It becomes, a, you know, an agreement. You have to agree things with them. You can't just keep telling them to do things because that's just going to give you uh, more pushback and you're just your relationship really is going to get strained they're going to stop talking to you um, but the other thing about possession is that a lot of parents feel ah this is my child so i can shape this child in my own image but as my friend dominic said and i'm sure we'll hear from him later he gave this beautiful analogy of 
a seed and how every seed has within it the shape of the tree that it's going to evolve and become. And as parents, our role needs to be to support it, protect it, and nurture it so that it can fulfill its own potential. Not be in the shape that I want it to be, but encourage it to be what's already in its seed, what's what their child, that particular child's potential is. And as you know, so much conflict comes when we try to force children to be in our own image. Uh, have you got any examples of that? Forcing them to do what we dreamt of being or doing in our lives. Yes. Career choices uh, one is one of the biggest example, I guess. A lot of people in, in their 30s and 40s, when I speak to them, when, when they come for counseling, um, so many of them talk about the same thing, that they wanted to be somebody else. They wanted to do something else in their lives. Um, and it, that choice, not being their choice, is one of the biggest uh, problems I see in the world. Because if you don't like what you do, you don't, you're purposeless. Your life is more meaningless. And then it goes on to relationships, goes on to you being unhappy, uh, but it starts from there. Yes. And I think as parents, perhaps we need to recognize our own fear that we're transmitting to our children. And that's behind the decisions we are forcing them to make. Why do you want to be a musician? It's such a, you know, this career doesn't pay very much. Why don't you be a, you know, doctor or lawyer or whatever, banker instead? And it's that our, we don't see that it's our fear that's behind the decisions we are making and trying them to trying to get them to do um, our bidding. So um, waking up to that fear is so important because if we bring up our children in fear, well, what will happen, et cetera, et cetera, then I think we're going to infuse them with that fear, which is going to condition them and their thinking and behavior in the future. What are your thoughts on that, Sakshi? Well, this, uh, I was reading the question there, probably we'll answer that later, but yes. uh, we, we, we have to change when it comes to that. When you said that the parents need to grow, I think uh, that is one of the most relevant and the most pertinent things that need to be done with this world if this world needs to change. Hmm. Because we are not giving our children that place, that safe place where they are able to become who they want. And they also say that if, it are, if we are the best kind of parent, then we would be the parent who uh, does his or her job so well that our children don't need us uh, ever, ever in their lives later. Mm. Uh, but like you said, we consider them to be our possessions. We um, do live our dreams through them. Uh, like I said, maybe when they are younger, it's fine, or when they are even older, it's fine. But during the teenage years, because their own hormones are aging, they are their brain is developing really, really fast. We see a lot of conflict. Like I said, if they can get past the stage where we've not been able to crush their spirits and we've yeah. given them, them a safe space, then they will probably become the the best people they can be. But we forget that. Yes. Each tree 
has its own shape. No two trees in the world are alike. No two children are going to grow to be the same adults. And as parents, our role is to support them. Okay, so moving on, why do you think teenagers rebel so much in their teenage years? I think we mentioned this once in a previous talk. What's going on? Um, because first and foremost, we don't give them that space to be their own person, speak their mind. Um, because when they speak back or when they put their point forward and because again, they're going through a stage which is where the emotions are on overdrive and they sometimes are not, not as respectful maybe the way they talk, we push them back and we tell them that they are disrespecting, they are not listening to us, we are forever criticizing. Yes. And I think a lot of that, a lot of instruction, a lot of criticism, a lot of them not you know, having the space to do what they want to do uh, naturally brings them to a place where, where they rebel because they are actually, they, they are trying to build their own identity away from us. Yes. And that's hard for us to accept, isn't it? That children are going to be, they want to be different from us. They want to be separate from us. I mean, that just feels so painful for parents, right? It is, because these very sweet, cuddly kids who used to come and give us a hug every um, couple of minutes are not wanting to be with us in the same room, uh, not because they don't like us or we should really take that personally, but, but they need that time away from us to become their own people. Otherwise, they are just extensions of us. And that's really hard lesson, but an important lesson for all of us adults to learn, you know. Um, but you said something different, interesting there, that constant criticism. See, when they're, I mean, I, you know, we're not even aware of this, but this constant stream of criticism that some parents have towards their children. Don't do this, do that, change this, change that. Because our mind assumes that the way we see the world is the correct way, the only way to see things. And when we see them, particularly because they are extensions of us or our possessions or whatever we like to think about them, and if they're different, then we're constantly criticizing them and getting them to change. What is the impact of this criticism on a child? Biggest hit is the self-esteem, the self-worth. They say there's also a lot of... Uh, statistics uh, that, that talk about um, how the self-confidence or the self-esteem starts dipping uh, during teenage years. Because again, uh, they are trying to exert their own will. They are wanting to be their own people. We don't think that's the right way. And there is a lot more conflict. With that lot more conflict, um, if they are continuously told that what they are saying or doing is wrong and there is a lot more criticism, um, they will believe us because children and teenagers, till they become adults, believe, really believe in their, in their parents. They might come and fight with us, they might um, get upset with us, but if we constantly tell them that they are, and we label, we label, we call them lazy, we call them um, difficult, 
uh, we say a lot of mean things to them. We will, you know, if we say these kind of mean things to our coworkers or, or people in our at workplace, we would be shunted out of the office. So we would not have any uh, people working if, if we are working for ourselves, but we are very unkind to our teenagers. Yes. I think it's so important. And this is something we emphasize in the communication module in the human wisdom app, which we'll be showing everyone in a minute the importance of pausing before you speak and asking, how is this going to be received? Right. I think if we just did that for one second, how is this going to be received? Is it kind? And by the way, our mind assumes that criticism is the best way of getting people to change. In fact, it's the worst way of getting anyone to change. My old boss in Australia, I worked as a spine surgeon there. He went to business school for three years. He came back, he said, Manoj, I just learned one thing, which was that if you want someone to change, do it through positive reinforcement. Do it through praise rather than through criticism. Criticism never works, whether it's at home, at teenagers, or of course, um, in the workplace. Okay. Let's talk about love, Sakshi. We say we love our children. And I think we're convinced that we do. But do we really? If we are forcing them to do what we want, um, isn't love really about acceptance and acceptance of difference as well? Right? <clears throat> what, what a beautiful question. But this is... Uh... I think all parents love their children, right? I don't think that's really questionable, Manoj. Um, but because um, they don't really understand what love means to you or me, doesn't mean they don't love their children, but because whatever they do, they do out of love. It's again that conditioning that's taught them that, you know, if they don't take care of the children, if they don't show them the right path, if they don't always keep instructing them, then they will go um, bad. One of the things uh, that we feel as uh, parents of teenagers, and we, that's the big fear and the risk that we have in our mind 24 seven, is that our children will turn out uh, rogues. Our children will turn out dishonest people. Our children will turn out to not be good people, which is why we do what we do. So I don't know if it is lack of love or we, our understanding of love is maybe different. We still do it. All parents do it out uh, of some love or the other for their children. Yeah. It's, I think, again, a problem with the thinking. We think that uh, it's our job to make them who they will become. And we forget that they are going to be their own people. And our best job, a parenting job, has to be the one where we are giving them the safe space to become who they are. Yes. So there's a couple of comments which are relevant to where we are in this conversation. Um, and I think one from Alessandro is that more he pushes his children to do what he thinks is right, the more they seem to reject. And they're not rejecting, I think, they're not reacting to what you're saying. They're reacting to uh, who you are or their feeling of being criticized all the time. If I'm being criticized, I'm really hypersensitive. 
So the smallest thing is going to trigger the same reaction. And maybe this brings us to this idea of communication and the, the importance of listening, asking questions, and keeping an open space for them to speak. How, what tips can we offer parents in terms of communication and listening? Uh, like what, what the question there uh, is quite relevant here because we would, we know our children well. We also know what is good for them and what is not good for them. But why is it they always reject what we say? Mm. And you're right, I mean, the way we say it, the authority that we bring in, the choices that we don't give, um, the, the feeling that we know it better that comes in um, is, is, is why they reject what we say very often. It's again, the same thing. Mm. While communicating, if you're communicating with, um, with being the, the person in authority, we are anyways losing the plot. Because what we do while criticizing or while we are making a child feel bad in, in the way we talk, we are losing the, the rational thought ability or thinking ability of that child at that particular time. Yes. So we don't let them finish speaking. And immediately they say something, we are jumping in with what we think. We do that with everyone, with adults as well, right? But the real art of listening is to pause after someone has spoken. And instead of saying what you think, is to ask a question about what they've said, right? Because that really makes them feel listened to. Like, why do you think that? Or be curious about their point of view, whatever it might be. Because that is what builds that connection between parents and teenagers. And as you say, we are not there just to correct them. We're also there as their friends and their most important relationship in their life. Another tip is connect before correct. So what when we are when we are having this conversation with them and when we really want them to um, listen to us or, or our ways actually better than what they are thinking. Uh, instead of correcting, if we bring the connection before that, yes. um, just a little pat on the shoulder, yes. just that pause that you're talking about, um, saying something which, which they really like to hear, positive reinforcement again. Yes. If you want them to really, really listen, um, it's we who can bring a better pause because we are more regulated as it does. Yes. Um, the children, the teenagers are still, again, going back to the same point. Their emotional space is usually more in an overdrive because their rational thought area of the brain is still developing. But we react faster than them so, so many times. So when adults cannot find their regulation in their bodies, um, very well themselves in their relationships um, with even the adults, how can we expect the teenagers to bring that pause? Yes. Pause has to come from us. So children are going to embody who you are is who the children are going to be. If you're stressed and anxious, 
you're going to have children who are stressed and anxious. If you have children who are answering back, it's because you have not been listening. See, a lot of the problems that parents feel teenagers have begin with the parents, but we struggle to look at ourselves and, and accept that maybe there's something in me that I need to begin by looking at. You know, And I've certainly had those challenges with the two boys I've raised now, they're young men. Uh, so they need to be respected. And it's really hard for parents to respect children because again, we think they're different, they're wrong. <laughs> but to be able to respect that difference, their opinions and whatever they wanna do, I think is, is so important. Uh, if you're kind, they're more likely to be kind. If you're soft-spoken in an argument, they're more likely to be soft-spoken in an argument. Um, and I think Prabodh mentioned the importance of values. And again, they embody not what you say, but who you are as a person and how you actually live. Uh, if you're on the phone all the time and you want them not to be on the phone, that's the wrong message. That doesn't, that doesn't work. What about comparisons, actually? We parents do that naturally. It comes naturally to the human mind. But how do you think that impacts children? And what are the different ways we compare children with each other? And how does that impact them? We compare a lot. We, uh, and it comes from non-acceptance. We don't accept the children that we've got. And we think that the teenagers that we have, and we think that they are adults in making, they are uh, still going to become somebody else when they grow up. And we forget that they're already fabulous people. Um, and we see, if we talk, if somebody was talking about social media here, social media is creating a havoc, I agree. In the young people's minds, but so much more in the parents' minds today. Hmm. it's the social media which is also bringing to the parents the other beautiful children who are doing 10 more activities than their children hmm. uh, comparison between siblings comparison with friends comparison in general uh, kills our spirits yes. like if you know all of us adults sitting here if we uh, start comparing each other, we would not, we would leave the room right away. But we expect our children to stay put uh, with that comparison 24-7. It's, um, it's not what they're comparing in, but the only, I think, thing a, a child hears when you're comparing is that you don't like who I am. You want me to change. Yes, yes. So I Key thing to understand, Sakshi, may be that the human mind is comparing all the time, but we're not aware of it. It's unconscious. So as you say, the parents are comparing one brother or sister. Why can't you be like your brother or this cousin? And as you say, it's communicating, I don't love you. I want you to be different to who you are. And we're comparing children, of course, on social media. So someone's doing five activities and my child's doing none. Oh, I'm being a bad parent rather than realizing children need space, you know, just to be and don't need to have their time filled from morning to night. But also to help children realize that this is what their mind is doing all the time too. If they're on social media, 
they're being conditioned by what they're seeing without realizing they're being conditioned. And they are comparing themselves with others, which is again damaging their self-esteem and so on. I'll share a beautiful conversation I had. By the way, you can have all these conversations with teenagers. In fact, I have them with children who are eight years old as well. And so let me relate two interesting conversations. One was with 10-year-olds. I said, your friend who's next to you has more marks in maths than you do. How do you feel? And this girl said, I don't like my friend because I think she's showing off. I don't like myself because I think I'm no good. And I stopped liking the subject because I think, why should I bother? And all through university and college, I ask people how social media affects them and say it damages their self-esteem, pushes them to conform, makes them hate their bodies, all of that. So having these conversations with children, explaining this is what your mind is doing, that brings its own freedom. So when I ask these teenagers, how would your life change if you became aware this is what your mind is doing all the time, comparing, and you only compared yourself when it served you? when you needed to. It's actually this 13-year-old girl told me I would be free. <laughs> no. So um, I found that really profoundly beautiful. Okay. All right, so what we're gonna do now is we're just gonna take two minutes and introduce you to the Human Wisdom app. And so it's a resource for everyone to use. And then we're gonna open it up for your questions and comments. So please um, keep them and just we'll use the hand for that. So. Uh, but let's start by, I'm not going to take too long because it's something you can do on your own too. So the Human Wisdom app is on the Google and Apple store. It's also on at humanwisdom.me. It's been continually improved. It's got six and a half thousand screens now and 65 modules. All the topics that we've talked about in this talk, which are relevant for teenagers, are all here. We're building a program for teenagers, which will be launched in April. But uh, I found that I can use all the content here with teenagers to have conversations with them. And uh, those conversations, it's amazing how much wisdom teenagers already have. You know, the root word of education, educere, is to draw out. So this wisdom is already inside every child, every teenager. And it's a question of drawing it out rather than putting our thoughts and beliefs and our fears in our children. But just to give you a sense of, so these wisdom exercises are really excellent for someone who has no idea what this idea of self-awareness is and how it can be applied to our life. There are 12 exercises. So seeing the world freshly, noticing your body, your thoughts, your feelings, exploring judgment, learning to question our thoughts and feelings, looking without reacting, and so on. So I really encourage that. Um, all our topics have been, content is divided into eight easy sections, depending on what your interest is. So you can explore that here. So for example, if you're looking at stress and anxiety, there's short videos on how to overcome it now, more detailed modules to get to the root cause of it, including one on conditioning, life stories, guided questions, short videos, podcasts, events, and guided meditations. So plenty of content there. 
children learn through storytelling. So a lot of life stories here are really relevant for them. Um, and you could encourage the teenagers in your life to read them. And, and, and then that becomes a basis for discussions. A lot of young people's attention span is only 30 seconds to a minute. So these short videos are between 30 seconds and two minutes. And they're a good learning point. Each of them has one nugget of wisdom. But if you look at all the different topics, so these are, the, by the way, this is a section on developing a calm mind. The living with wisdom section has all of these topics that are relevant for us and for teenagers. So self-esteem, addiction, stress affects 80% of us, relationships, um, happiness, how to be happy, how to have a healthy relationship with food. 10% of teenagers have an eating disorder, for example. Um, understanding what love is, dealing with bullying, a huge problem in teenagers, uh, making good decisions for your life, dealing with criticism. And you won't believe, I was talking to a group of 18-year-olds and I said, what's your biggest fear? And they said, it's death. And I was astonished. I thought, how can you be 18 and be afraid of dying? But they were. That was their biggest fear. Maybe it was in the middle of COVID. I'm not sure. This section helps people manage your emotions and then understand how your mind works and learn the art of inquiry, which is how to understand yourself. Young people I speak to are keen to help make the world a better place. And the section right at the bottom explores how we can use our wisdom to tackle racism, climate change, global health problems, end violence, war, and transform education. I'd love you all to read, listen to the video on transforming education, because it's got a lot of children's voices in there. And you'll be astonished how powerful um, and beautiful those voices are. So I'll leave you to explore that. It's free to download and browse. Um, most 10% uh, of the app is completely free. And then you're asked to subscribe and it's under two coffees a month. Lynn. Lynn is a human wisdom coach and a friend of mine from Chicago. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lynn. Thank you, Manoj. What I was thinking was um, how isolating it can be for a parent because we aren't likely to want to share with people how challenging a, a parenting issue is. And so I was thinking that this Human Wisdom app is like having a pocket-ready resource for the parent. And how many times I've had the conversation with the parent about what if the focus is on your energy? What can you do to calm down your nervous system? It doesn't change the fact that you have something problematic to deal with with your child or teenager, but what it allows is for you to approach it from a place of more calm and more clarity. So I love the idea of having access to this app for teenagers, for sure, but also for parents, you know, to have at the ready something literally they can pull out of their pocket and say, what can I do to create some calm for me in this challenging moment? Yes. Yes. Thank you for that. Yes. So I think the journey of being a parent is not just about helping teenagers grow up, but growing ourselves as human beings. And that's the challenge for all of us. Prabodh, thank you for joining us, Prabodh. 
Thank you. Very exciting discussion. So thank you very much, uh, Manoj and Sakshiji and so on. Um, just wanted to go back to the, the, the discussion we were having about engaging with teenagers. One of the things I, I found, my, my, my children are grown up now, they've just turned 30 and so on. So, so my, my experience is a little bit old. Um, but one thing I used to find is that when they were teenagers, they, they felt they knew better than, than I did. And that was always difficult. Um, what, what I did find, and we really got on well with, I, I always got on well, but not in advice terms. But uh, when we played games, I, I thought that was a, you know, a great leveler because they could learn the, you know, the rules of the games quite quickly as I, as I would. And uh, thereby we were able to compete and perhaps, you know, even things like monopolies or even spend and cash flow and that type of games was really useful. So I just wanted to make a, make a point that. Uh, yes, you know, I think you made a good in. point there, Prabodh, that we sometimes think we're, we adults are busy with our lives and our role with our children is just to tell them what to do and keep them on the street and not realizing that we need to do things with them to, and so on you know and that ability to do things with your children really strengthens bonds whether it's a sport or an activity or whatever it might be it's doing better means earning more uh, for our children sending them to better colleges doing really well getting those big ticket jobs corner offices um, the problem is when they get there you have a you have a Steve Jobs who dies on his deathbed says that I missed on, uh, missed out on relationships. I missed out on love. Uh, but that is something that we don't prepare our children for. We, we are so um, hell-bent upon um, making them understand the success means doing better, uh, not doing better as human beings, but doing better in terms of um, money, in terms of fame or whatever we call it yes um so i don't know again it comes back to us it's such a actually it's a really good point sakshi and thank you um to rather for bringing that up because we are conditioned to regard success as money and fame right but really we want money and fame because we think it's going to make us happier but there's an 80 year long harvard study that's just come out saying the one thing that determines our long-term happiness is the quality of our relationships. And where as parents do we emphasize the importance of that to our children? Or importance of being happy and importance of real success lies in how you feel inside, whether you feel content and at peace and joyful and sensitive to the beauty of the world. And you're a, you know, you're you're trying to do something to help make the world a better place and all of those things rather than just because otherwise you're conditioning your children to grow up thinking if I don't have enough money and if I'm not famous, then I'm a failure in my parents' eyes, <laughs> right? And you can imagine the burden of that on our children. 
No, very true. And we never do we ever ask them questions like, "What did you do for do? What did you do for some somebody today?" Hmm. We never. So whenever when they when they are in school, when they grow up a little bit more, our question is always about how many marks did they get. Um, and what do they want to eat? We never make these conversations. And one of the things I thought is something which is very relevant as well is to really take out the time to talk to our children about uh, about other things beyond instruction, studies, uh, how they need to be um, truthful. We talk about lot of those things but we talk about what's happening what's going wrong with the world uh, conversations about um, relationships we don't and especially in teenage stage the conversations um, don't happen as much there is more actually more emotional blackmail happening more instructions happening criticism happening but actually conversing with them about things that matter is not something that we do consciously. So that has to be a big part, I guess, of our parenting as well. Yes. Well, I think you mentioned that word, which I'd love to explore a little bit more, emotional blackmail. You know, we as parents emotionally blackmail our children so easily, unconsciously, without realizing. You don't want to come on a walk, you don't really care for me. You know, you don't want to come and see me this weekend, oh, you've stopped caring for your, for your father. So we force them to do what we want using this emotional blackmail, and it can't be good for the relationship. Right? It happens, we do it all the time. It's so unconscious and something we need to stop doing. Because it costs us our relationship. The bond that we are wanting to build, the bond that we really, really badly need gets um, very disturbed and marred by us making them feel responsible for our emotions. That's beautifully put. Yes, yes. They are not responsible for our emotions, right? You know, so important to, um, and it just struck me that in all this, there's so many things to think about. But for me, the single most important thing is love to realize that the love we have for our children and the love they have for us, this bond of communication and caring. So love is acceptance. Love is the ability to listen. Love is the ability to accept difference, to care, even if people are different and so on. And if that bond is strong, then pretty much everything else takes care of itself. But we focus on the wrong things and not realizing all the little things that make an impact on that bond of love with children, criticism, you know, all of that stuff, saying you can't do this, can do that. So, Sakshi, that's a really interesting point to explore, which is the energy we have. We think the words are important, and that's all that's important. But actually, it's the energy behind the words that really communicates itself to children. Am I anxious? Am I nervous? Am I stressed? Am I loving? Am I kind? Am I gentle? Inside, my energy. You know, am I listening with my eyes? Am I patient? 
We think it's just the words that matter, but it's far more than that, right? It's who we are. And that's where I think what Lynn said uh, comes back all the time. Um, How dysregulated we are or how regulated we are ourselves uh, is the game. The energy will be uh, peaceful if we first go and find our own regulation. If we can't do that, and that's where I think the Human Wisdom app does quite a bit of work on calming the mind, actually going within, uh, speaking without language. And, and, and that section is amazing because when we go to uh, the Human Wisdom app and, and, and just open some of those exercises, wherever we are, whatever space where, where we are, however dysregulated we are, They've got, they've been done so well that they they bring that calm in. And as parents, uh, we are going to have chaos. Parents of teenagers, there is a lot of chaos in our homes. Mm. That is the definition of having teenagers. But mm. in their chaos, if we cannot bring the calm, then it is not going to work out for them. They're not going to turn out as great as we want them to be because we've not given them that energy that calm uh, because we don't have it in us yes yes. so i think that's where this journey to wisdom for ourselves is so important because life is tough for parents money relationships joy you know all of that so many challenges coming at us all the time and then we have to find an energy and love and reserve to give to children and often parents feel they haven't got any so first begin with ourselves you know, go on a journey of learning about yourself, which awakens your own wisdom, which can help you transform your own life. And then you're in a position to share this wisdom with your children. And that's the greatest gift I think we can give young people. More than love, I'm sorry, more than money, except for love, this wisdom will see them through in life, help them make the right decisions, have happier relationships, you know, be less stressed and anxious, avoid the perils of addiction. 20% of the world is addicted to something. And our teenagers are going to be part of that statistic if we don't bring them up with care. Suicide is the highest cause of death in young people under 25. So many stories, I'm sure they're part of all our lives. All of that can be prevented if we as parents live with this deeper uh, wisdom. So we're all conditioned, you know, birthdays, Christmases, you know, all of that. Shower children with presents as a symbol of the love we have for them. But it's conditioning them, as you say, to think that happiness lies in possessions. So if they grow up as adults and don't have those possessions, firstly, they'll feel unhappy or they'll be conditioned to chase possessions all their life and realize despite that, they're still unhappy. But maybe we should read that module on love because love is acceptance, caring, listening, doing things, patience, food. You know, it can be expressed in a hundred ways which don't involve buying. By the way, nothing wrong with that. We're not saying no, but... If it's the only thing you're using to express your love, there's something going to be missing in that, right? 
I think sometimes we think we have to impart some kind of, um, you know, advice. And sometimes it really is just the holding space and communicating a message that says, I'm sorry that happened. Or I'm sorry that was the experience you had. Allows them to be felt and seen. Uh, because developmentally, teenagers are so self-focused. They often think they're the only ones having the experience, the only ones thinking or seeing things the way they do. And to actually reflect to them that what they're experiencing is, um, you know, worth being upset about, or, you know, we, we can we're not trying to change their their minds about what they're experiencing, but to say, I see you, I feel what's what's going on with you. I think that sort of empathy, uh, I think as parents, we often want to fix it or, you know, change the circumstances. It's so hard to see our children suffering. Mm. And so we want to, you know, give advice or so help them solve the problem. There's a man I met who had this brilliant response to his daughter. She, you know, she would come home from school filled with all this energy about something that had happened. And he learned to say to her, is this a time when you want me to share my advice with you? Or is this a time when you want me to listen? Isn't that brilliant? That's such a beautiful really thing. then sets it back on her for her to say what she needs from him. As a parent, I thought, oh, my gosh, we could use that in all of our relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Asha had a good point. She said that using language like I understand and I can see your point of view and then getting and then putting your point of view across might de-escalate things. But the key thing we forget is the importance of listening, not only listening, but being curious about why they think that way. And, and so on. And asking them, is there another way you could see things? These open conversations are absolutely um, so important. Um, and um, yes. So as parents, I also think sometimes we think we need to keep doing things with children, right? Keep them busy from morning to night. And sometimes just letting them be and having that creative space uh, and being there with them. Is, is so important. Okay, so Valeria's point, she's saying that a friend son took his own life a few days ago, and is it okay to talk about this with our children? Valeria, I, I would encourage you to have a look at the Human Wisdom app. There are sections there on preventing suicide and all of that. I think it's okay to talk about kids, to, to kids about all of this stuff. You'll be astonished at their level of maturity, but it's how we talk that's important. Are we respecting them, accepting that they're different, accepting their points of view, uh, loving them anyway, uh, whatever they may be? And I think that unconditional love and acceptance is the key. Um, okay. So thank you very much, everyone. I will uh, edit this and send everyone a recording. Um, I think it's such an important subject, not just for your teenagers, but also for the world. Because if we can get this parenting right and parent children with wisdom, 
They are the future of humanity. And I think we can have, we can create a better future for humanity if we all learned to parent with this deeper wisdom. This podcast comes to you from the Human Wisdom Project. To find out more, please visit our website, humanwisdom.me, or download the Human Wisdom app. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.